0: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to American Physio Unfiltered. We're back in the studio. I'm Dr. Matt Sonricker. Dr. Sean Reister joins me. Hello. And our producer on the keys, Dr. Adam Baker. Dr.
1: Adam Baker, physiotherapist <laughs> today.
0: And we are back on the mic from August 7th. Our commitment factor. Like the Southern Australian accent? <laughs> yeah, what, was that? what was that? <laughs> I wish my car would talk to me like that. Well, talk to you like what? Mine the does. Australian accent.
2: I picked That's just f- how I speak now, boys. I've picked the female Australian accent on my Siri. Mm-hmm. So she talks to me in the car, which is funny when you guys send group texts and she reads everything from oh, the group texts. It's ridiculous. That's
0: awful. Fun. So Good we are back. First episode sin- since August 7th of 2017, and a lot has happened since we've been uh, on our hiatus.
2: Our, a remarkable demonstration of apathy and yes. extreme lack, lack of, of commitment. commitment. <laughs> <laughs> and we could give
0: you a bunch of excuses as as everybody out there is busy. Um, but we feel ashamed that we haven't been uh, on here since August, and we're going to make an active commitment to try to get back to every two weeks because we think it's important.
2: Yeah, our excuse is that we sucked, and we will no longer suck.
0: And we have a lot of fun doing this. That's fun. Oh, yeah. It's good to be back
1: in the studio here. It's, now we, we've moved to the Whirly studio. Spend a, yes. It's a two, this Whirly. is our third studio, actually. Worley Studio, and uh, man, like just thinking today,
2: because we took a look at when was the last time we actually recorded, and that was August of 2017, so I'm like, hey, what type of stuff has happened since the last time, and it's like we had the flu, I mean, because even just from a story standpoint.
0: You had the flu, I didn't have the flu. I did
2: end up actually having Influenza B, that sucked. Which was funny because – and I think we were talking earlier like how some people think like when they're throwing up because they ate bad chicken or something and they're like, oh, I had the flu. Like, no, influenza is –
0: Right, which I think is important because I always say that too. Hey, if you got the 24-hour stomach bug, you had the flu. But that's not 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 actually the flu, right?
1: Just had some bad chicken. Shouldn't have eaten that chicken probably. Mm -hmm.
0: So how do you differentiate between like the flu and a stomach virus yeah, or? You,
2: you could say if you're throwing up or you know you could say you have gastroenteritis that's one way to call it is uh but a lot of times it's usually norovirus ends up causing that or some type of food poisoning thing but mm-hmm. the flu itself is <clears throat> you know, uh fever chills flu right now weakness
0: yeah could you not cough into <laughs> you the no, actually,
2: i think my microphones down so low if i don't actually like put my mouth
1: over it oh wow I, here we go that's a good clip am i
2: am i i feel like i'm
0: yeah, yeah, now we go yeah. what yeah.
1: were you saying about putting your mouth over it <sighs> <laughs>
0: it's horrible
1: <clears throat> Well, there goes that flu talk.
0: <laughs> so wait, I want to know more. How do how do you know if you have the flu versus like other things? What is this big flu that hit a bunch of people in the last few? months? Well, they look at
2: <clears throat> they look at a symptom set for it, and then uh, I for me, I was they like, they swab you, and then they stick it in this little thing, and it pops based on enzymes, and it if it tells you you're positive for influenza B because you could test for A B. Um, you know, everything comes uh, positive for the C line. And then if they look at that, depending on your symptoms, of symptoms which
0: we're talking symptoms of fatigue, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're not talking 24 hour on the toilet.
2: No, or, actually there was no part of it whatsoever. There was uh, no nausea or anything like that. It was, uh, a light cough, which didn't even really start until, uh, the next, the day after fever, um, fever a lot of joint pain and stuff like that, uh, chills. And, um, you know, and some people will have, uh, more respiratory distress. Uh, a lot of times they'll view it as like, you know, a cold, that's way worse, but with a fever. Mm.
0: And I thought it was cool as we were looking back at some of the topics we covered, um, two episodes ago, we, we covered like pan pandemic diseases and possible for pre- prevention and, and how do we go about, you know, uh, uh, a population type treatment for, for a big influenza or something like that. And th- and this is kinda like a, a small flu pandemic, I, I would say, right? Well
2: <clears throat> or a kind of a large flu pandemic.
0: <laughs> Try to say uh, you up for that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean the thing is Is it, it newsworthy?
0: Uh, no, I think it's, yeah, sorry.
2: it's been newsworthy. I would, I mean it's on every day. Um, at this point in time, I think the running total, especially they focus on, uh, you know, children that have died, you know, 114 to this point in time in the United States. Uh, and, you know, the causes of death range from either uh, a comorbidity with some other other, other infection or a very intense reaction of the immune system that fills the lungs, and then that's when it's ends up killing people. Um, the, the interesting, or, you know, Interesting part is we're at the hundred year anniversary of the Spanish flu, which of course we've talked about before. But that one killed fifty million people, and the interesting part with some of that was some of the stories how fast the Spanish flu killed people. You know, they had stories uh, in New York City where someone would get on the subway at Coney Island, and by the time they got to Columbus Circle, they were asymptomatic when they got on the train and they were dead when the train stopped
1: and, Whenever somebody coughs in the room with me i feel the same way though mm-hmm. i leave that room and i'm like i'm, I'm mm-hmm. dying this is horrible i have the flu
0: <laughs> and and not to harp on the spanish flu but just so you guys listening in in 1918 sean mentioned 50 million flu deaths this is over half the world's population by the end of that pandemic we're talking big Oh, it was it was huge. The, the
2: bigger part was, I mean, it did it in two hundred thirty-five days. It wow, wasn't, it wasn't quite half the world's population at that time, but it was. It was a significant chunk,
0: right? And just to give you guys some reference uh, of in terms of numbers, since that nineteen eighteen Spanish flu, we're talking fifty million deaths. A couple other notable ones: nineteen fifty-seven, the Asian flu pandemic, one million deaths. 1968 Hong Kong flu pandemic, 3 million deaths. 2009 H1N1 pandemic, 18,000 deaths, um, up to 200,000 deaths worldwide with that H1N1 in 2009. So that's just a couple of the notable it's, flu pandemics. It's been a big story for sure, and
2: uh, obviously the other parts of it is you know less than fifty percent of Americans get vaccinated. Um, you know, CDC reports vaccination uh, success rates of like thirty six percent, you know, which would lead some people to maybe not want to get that, or they believe they can get yeah. the flu from I'm,
1: getting the vaccination. I'm looking up from uh, a report from last year, twenty sixteen to seventeen. Uh, a total of 101 flu-associated deaths in children occurred. And then in the past, this is showing that between 80 and 85% of flu-associated pediatric deaths um, occurred in children that did not get the vaccine.
0: Yeah, which is funny. I, when I was looking back at some of the topics we touched on other uh, podcasts, opioids, the pandemic, the next... Topic we touched on a episode before that was vaccines. Right. And when I go to the CDC website to look, uh, look up some data on some things we're going to talk about today, the number one thing to prevent, to stop these pandemics of influenza vaccines oh yeah when you
2: <clears throat> you reduce the uh, the risk of contraction which reduces the risk of it being out there just numbers
0: games and i think it's important to know where like our facts our sources are coming from because as we've touched on before last year you know the vaccine topic very hot hot issue and, uh, you know, a lot of lot of different fake news, I'll say, out there. And CDC, the leader in identifying how we can prevent and treat this stuff, the number one thing on their website in terms of influenza is make sure you get vaccinated. Yeah, they seem to know what they're doing there.
2: Yeah, it, I mean, unfortunately for the CDC, you're looking at a, a government agency which has been – unfortunately largely defunded in the last year and a half. <laughs> I, don't, I really right. know what else to say about that. Um but uh other interesting news that happened that wasn't necessarily negative that we um you know typically based on our our content type that we might have looked at was a a blood test um for traumatic brain injury. Uh that's important from the fact that they've uh, been able to isolate it, uh, simple blood tests it looks for enzymes uh rather than having to do a consistent uh a CT scan on people and exposing the brain to lots of radiation and increased cost. Uh, cost, of course, is important when uh, traumatic brain injuries are uh, responsible for upwards of over two and a half million emergency department visits per year. Not to mention the ones that aren't necessarily treated in the emergency department. People might go to their physician or things like that. So clearly brain injury is a big deal. Um, uh, other things. There's a phase three clinical trial of some Alzheimer's medication that'll extend for a, a um a significant period of time like five to ten years um other things that happened uh back in august i think you know we all kind of thought the bills were looking to tank and
0: somehow how is
2: that not the first thing we
1: talked about they made the playoffs bills went to the playoffs since we've been back on the air trade them all away and we make it somehow
2: The reason why we didn't talk about it at first was because that was about two months ago. <laughs> yeah.
0: McDermott should be the people who still care. Uh, segment, oh, yeah. yes, a, a direct uh, show of leadership, trusting, trusting the process. Trust in the process.
2: I mean, other than that, there was um, we we frequently talked about um, healthcare in America and uh, some of the, the the legislative sides of things. Uh, a couple bills were passed as far as. Um, to help with uh, healthcare costs in America. However, the the major bill that did make its way through um, still did not give Medicare the ability to negotiate uh, any rates with uh, pharmaceutical companies. Um, that's kind of like the big it's, they're still getting a big pass. And uh, which is interesting because it leads into our, our main story, which is the opioid crisis in America. Um, you could pick between 30 or 40 or 140 different articles that have been published in the last you know even month just looking at the data on this and it's getting to the point where it's ridiculous
1: so not being able to negotiate um, you're just saying how it has affected the opioid crisis how does it um, how is that positive or negative not being able to negotiate well medicare negotiates rates with every provider in
2: america whether it's a hospital or uh, us as physical therapists uh, physicians and they set the rate that they'll pay for a particular service. Medicare does not have the right to set the rate that they'll pay for medications. Hmm. Okay. So, what ends up happening is the market kind of gets set by pharmaceutical companies, and that's where we've kind of looked at some previous articles. Remember uh, the Pharma Bro, Martin Shkreli? Shkreli, yes. He bought the cancer medication That dude's still in jail, right? He is currently... Oh, it's funny. He was in the news this week because he submitted a plea for mercy and leniency on the judge before sentencing and he has said that the six months in prison has shown the error of his ways and if she were to grant him leniency that he would use his you know strengths and powers like he's a superhero or whatever
0: frat boy chacrelli for the so,
2: benefit of humanity he, goes,
1: wow, he says do you
0: believe him? I, I, that's, I i don't qu- think i could ever believe "Quote:
1: i was a fool we we were all telling him this, like. <laughs> like Do you remember know.
0: his his stuff in front of Congress, which is so ridiculous? He'd sit but there a like,
1: stupid smirk. Yeah, that's Who what that? I remember about him—the smirk.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you think? I mean, is like,
2: I mean, I don't want to make a joke about prison rape, but is that like what's going on, in changing him? Like, could is there be. Some that would, stuff. No, I think I would change a it, man. It would be
0: interesting to see how his prison stay went, right? You got this guy with all these all this money.
2: Or is it just the absence of the riches he had? like he you know, do you think he loaned that Wu Tang album to maybe some of the guys in prison, like for some cigarettes or something?
0: <laughs> it's funny, do you think money really gets you out of everything? I mean, this guy was definitely in jail, right? He was a normal I mean, you hear how money can get you out of anything, but this dude did have to go to jail, and I hope it did change the way he thinks about stuff.
1: I'll do my absolute best to use my skills and whatever talents I have been blessed with for the betterment of humanity.
0: Because we're clearly talking about a you know super smart dude who can help develop you know get a bunch of people together and develop a you know changing type pharmaceutical uh, drug. If he could use his powers, quote unquote, or his knowledge and his resources to change humanity for the better,
2: I think our our homework for for two weeks from now is make a list of 10 people who actually Mm -hmm. did change and then another 20 people who said they would change. Mm -hmm. And I just, Mm -hmm. I,
0: like if I'm gonna... It's hard to believe Crowley's gonna change. Yeah. How old is that dude now? Is he still in his 20s? He's 34. 34. That was amazing. I had that pulled up. (laughs) I wasn't even (laughs) choreographed
2: He, he looks like he's like he's early 20s
0: because you do change right as you go through like you think you know everything at 18 then you hit 25 and you realize nice. you knew nothing at 18 and then you hit 35 probably yeah, and sure realize you knew yeah. nothing at 25 maybe the dude can change
1: that's very yeah that was very optimistic, optimistic. I like uh I like what you did there
0: yeah um, we'll, we'll see time will tell
2: I'm sure we'll get a chance to to talk about that So one. back
0: to the opioid thing, I know a lot of you out there have probably heard about a uh, Purdue Pharmaceuticals, one of the leading pharmaceutical companies. Yeah, and they're uh, only and part opioid. of yeah, the only problem. Part. I mean, right.
2: they're a big part of the problem, but they are <clears throat> definitely front and center. Uh, I mean, interesting things when you look at it. Uh, so if we were to talk about just overdose deaths and um, first and foremost, the United States of America, I know this is going to be shocking for some people, um, but only four percent of the population of the world uh, resides here in the United States. Just four percent. There's a lot of
0: other people out there. I noticed this watching the Olympics. Another thing that occurred since we're out here watching the Olympics, you realize how many countries are out there that you don't really know, right? At least me. There's all the, <laughs> the, like a there's like all these hundreds of countries as I'm watching the opening ceremony. It was kind of cool to see, you know, all these all these where these people come from. Like and, that dude with no shirt, huh? right? like in the cold, and he's just like. It's like gathered up out there, man. But getting back to my well. point, getting back to my point, we're only 4% of the world population. Right. So even, if, if,
2: even if we had a big opioid problem here in the States, like, I mean, if we had 4% of the world's population and we had 8% of the opioid overdose deaths in the world, that would be a problem, right? Because, you know, it'd be, I mean, essentially it's twice as much as expected. It's definitely not even. Something's wrong there. But we have 27 percent of the world's 27%. opioid overdose deaths. Overdose deaths here in the United States. So clearly, matter of fact, that it's trending. It's about 64 thousand deaths per year. And currently, when the uh, um, you know, CDC looks at uh, you know they calculate our life expectancies. You know, for the United States. Um, something weird has happened. First time it happened in 50 years, but our life expectancy in the United States went down for the second year in a row. It went down by a whopping 0.1, which, I mean, is really like a little over, little over a month. Mm-hmm. We've all lost, you know, as our expectancy goes. What is the expectancy now? The expectancy is down to 78.6 years. Uh,
0: 70 70 point, so if my that's math is correct, Dr. Easter is well <laughs> over... Oh, I'm, halfway <clears throat> I'm way past half. I Not, got... You're knocking on Grim Reaper's door. If we were to create a bell curve, <laughs> 30, I've
1: got 30.6 years You would be on the downward left. slope, Sean, is what we're saying.
2: Yeah, there's only th- three decades left.
1: You're, posi- you're, you're trending downwards. Yes. If I'm lucky, <laughs> I've got... It's as if there's an avalanche, and you're caught in it, and there's no escaping it, and you're just going down towards the bottom. Yes. <laughs> What other, what other references <clears throat> can we, can try, we throw in am Trying out to of think of more
0: age related jokes, but dude, you're just old. That's what it comes down to.
2: Yeah, I mean, you guys like your chances of attending my funeral. <laughs> <laughs> I just but think it's it doesn't gonna mean be a good it's going to happen that way.
1: I think it'll be a good party, to be honest.
2: As if it's if it's the way I wanted, it, it will be. Now, other developed nations <laughs> in the world, uh, eighty-one point eight years, and uh, it just. It's becoming such a problem because it was so insanely overprescribed, and then of course the bigger at the heart of the issue is, I think a lot of us, if we've created something, now I'm not saying that the uh, the mission of Purdue Chemical was to destroy the world or Purdue Pharmaceuticals was just, but you know, they wanted to create something that was going to help alleviate pain, but early on in the process they discovered that it was far more addictive than they thought. And that was the problem they ran into. They marketed it very hard, and they realized, hey, this is way worse than we thought. And internal memos, which were um, founder and discovery phase of lawsuits, uh, showed that, yeah, they basically were like, shut up.
0: Right, and there's, there's fault to go around here, but when we look at a, a pharmaceutical companies like – Purdue Pharma. It's like in this early stage of opioids, you know, they partnered. They really marketed. They partnered with different doctors to increase the prescriptions of opioids, you know. And, and what they did is they really downplayed the highly addictive properties. Yeah. So what that,
1: were what were the positives? What did they say to get these doctors mm-hmm. to actually prescribe? Like Oxycontin, for example.
0: Right. Like, I just want to paint a picture. I know we're talking about like an individual type scale. This is this is globally and, and not only nationally, globally. You know, this is going on everywhere. But take a take a Purdue Purdue pharmaceutical rep goes into a doctor's office. You know, they could just got boatloads of money. Mm-hmm. And you're going into that doc and saying, hey, I got this drug, this opioid, this Oxycontin that's going to help your patient who's who's coming to you with a lot of pain. And not only is it going to relieve their pain but there's really very low side of negative effects and i not only that if you prescribe x amount of prescriptions you know they were kind of pushing physicians to to make prescriptions you and your lovely wife and family are going to go on a big trip or we're going to make sure lunch is here every single day for your hundreds of staff here you know th- there's ways where we used perks and 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 things to sell that drug and, and what really people are pissed off about like the attorney general from washington state who was just one of the lawsuits brought against purdue pharmaceuticals
2: well the biggest one was the one that was filed against by the united states government and they settled that in 2007 for 634.5
0: million dollars 634 they settled well that's what happens
1: when you tell physicians that your drug is not as addictive As other things, then it turns out because they said it was time released or something like it would go over, it would would be released into the body like eight to 12 hours throughout the day. It's not going to be as addictive. And that's not true at all. But did that adverse,
2: horrible settlement for Purdue slow that, that little engine that could down? No. No, it didn't.
0: Just a fraction of what they've made in the past you know, 20 years or what the money that is out there in, in the future for them. This 634 was just a drop in the bucket to to uh, quiet one of the lawsuits.
2: Is oh, we roll into the finance portion, which bleeds right off of this newsworthy story here, is we look at the Sackler family. Now, the interesting thing is uh, it's funny because you joke around about <clears throat> opioids or whatever. Like, hey, just, you know, just invest in a drug company. Just invest in Purdue. But they're a privately held company. And it only took eight years after that six hundred thirty-four million dollars settlement for the Sackler family to find themselves on Forbes list. They cracked on as a newbie in the the super elite rich list, and they they came in at about fourteen billion in net worth. Holy and crap! Uh, I mean, hardworking family, I am sure. At first, uh, it was three brothers that bought a uh, you know struggling or fledgling drug company in the fifties. Uh, three brothers. Um, I love the names. Arthur, Mortimer. I mean, Mortimer is not a... Mortimer. Like, you don't see, like, a lot of people throwing... Like, that's not on the top five baby name list, right?
0: Uh, it'd be cool if we could find a Mortimer for people who still care. We can... <laughs>
2: challenge accepted, right? <clears throat> and Raymond. Um,
0: Mortimer and Raymond.
2: But the the thing is that, uh, I mean, even you know, it wasn't just them, uh, you, as recent as like, uh, 2015, um, McKesson Corporation, which is a pharmaceutical distribution company. And, you know, they work, uh, with some of the the pharmacy manufacturers. Uh, the DEA went after them for some of the stuff I think you were reading about where the number of prescriptions that could be sent out or, uh, there was certain, there's supposed to be certain levels of management and reporting, that were regulated by the Drug Enforcement Agency on on drug distributors.
0: Right. Oh, my God. This one thing I found was 2011 alone. Now, we're talking Washington State, just one of the, uh, the states. You know, there's many cities and states who have brought up allegations and lawsuits to different pharmaceutical companies. But the attorney general from Washington State has this big suit going against... Uh, Purdue Pharmaceuticals, one of many of the lawsuits filed against them. And as we're going through some of this data, Washington physicians prescribed more than 112 million daily doses of opioids in 2011 alone. So if you take the population, that's 15 daily doses for every resident in the state. Of Washington,
2: even, even two year old babies, even
0: two year old babies,
2: who aren't typically on op- opioids,
0: fifteen daily doses a person in the state for two thousand and eleven.
2: Yeah, insane. the amount of corruption and money making that went on with respect to the opioid epidemic mm-hmm. is is borderline insane. And then the thing is, uh, McKesson they also so they were essentially being fined. All right, um, actually. Uh, Purdue's was a fine. Um, the the uh, DEA had a settlement with McKesson in 2015. They settled for 150 million dollars. McKesson was wow. the distributor, and the thing is, they had the DEA had a, a rock solid case. Like they had the ability to like put people in jail type of stuff. And essentially, one of the guys. It was actually a great piece. They did it on 60 Minutes a few months ago. It was you know uh, on after football games and. Uh, one guy that they interviewed, like for the piece, David Schiller, he was a you know current DA agent. He was just talking about like, yep, yeah, yeah, went up, Justice Department came in, and said, no, we can't. Uh, this is over. We can't really prosecute this any further. And he didn't know where the blockage was coming from. And uh, some of this stuff even happened. You can't blame current administration, although because uh, some of this happened under the Department of Justice under Obama, right? Um, but it, it still does go back to some of the era stuff we had talked about the 2002 Medicare Modernization Act and how that took away some of the ability for the government to regulate pharmaceutical companies and still does to this day.
0: Right. And I, just, I don't know if you guys saw this when uh, you're doing some research, but I, I thought it was really funny. On February 10th of this year, you know, just, just about a month ago, um, Purdue Pharmaceuticals, one of the companies we're talking about here, made this huge statement that they're going to cut their sales force by 50 percent. So after you know over a decade of, of aggressive and, I'll say irresponsible marketing to physicians um, all over the nation, they make this huge public statement that, that if you Google opioids, you can't help but miss. I, I don't know how many people they have working for them to, to make sure uh, what's out there on the Internet okay. <laughs> you know represents what they want. You know, But I just thought it was really funny that this announcement came out Feb- February 10th, just last month, that uh, Purdue is going to cut 50% of their sales force, um, so a big chunk of their marketing, and they're going to no longer aggressively market physicians on the use of opioids.
2: I'm sure it had nothing to do with the fact that a lot of physicians didn't really want to entertain
0: those salespeople right. anymore because it was probably a horrible look. So when I first read this, it took this long to make that statement. We're talking February 10th, 2018, after we've known this type of stuff is going on. And now they come out with, hey, we're going to stop marketing to physicians. You know, we realize our OxyContin is, can be addictive and we're going to stop the marketing. And, you know, sorry, guys, but we'll stop now. All right. And no, no funding
1: by them goes into any recovery or like prophylactic treatment no no help that way they're just going to do less selling mm. and and that's good enough for them right
2: I, I love how it was treated as like a really big story and you're like
0: right
1: what like
0: <laughs> which makes me think these companies with all this money like how, how much money do they spend on and making sure what you research what you google what you bing pops up and you get their side of the story
2: oh yeah it was funny uh, the atlantic which is you know it's a for the most part, a rather liberal publication. Uh, you, I clicked on a link for because I was looking for something with respect to opioid data for the, the story, and I'm like, oh, look at this graphic. It's like the history of opioids. And in the upper left-hand corner, you notice it's an advertisement from Purdue Pharmaceuticals. <laughs> and then there's a disclaimer by The Atlantic underneath that says, this is a sponsored page. On our publication, wow. it may not represent the views or opinions uh, of the editorial department of the Atlantic, but yet the page is still there, and it looks like this amazing piece of literature. It's just a, it's just a fluff it's piece. That's you can wow. click on each part in history, and they'll show you how opioids were used in the eighteen hundreds, mm. how they were used to help soldiers during World War One. Uh, it's it has nothing to do with how 64,000 people are dying every year and how many families are ripped apart. Uh, it's, and it's like there's zero. We talk a lot of times, you know, the responsibility and accountability, you know, how responsibility is what you have, like people who depend on you or entities that depend. It's your responsibility. It's Mm -hmm. like if you're a dad, you have a responsibility to take care of your kids. If you're a boss, you have a responsibility to take care of your employees. You know, if you're a, you know, if you're a provider, you have a responsibility to your patients. Accountability, those are the consequences when things go wrong. And it seems like there is zero accountability i mean right. if you are responsible for creating the the score the biggest like epidemic uh addiction problem in american history like how should you even still be doing business and right. sitting on the forbes list at 14 billion dollars right. shouldn't you be shut down and just be like shouldn't that 14 billion dollars just go to fix the lives right. or you try to fix the lives you ruined. that would be accountability
0: And this problem that we've known for several years now, in 2017, OxyContin sales, uh, Purdue generated about $2 billion in revenue in 2017. You know, we're talking that this was introduced about mid-90s, and, you know, it was first marketed as non-addictive, time-release, you know, treatment for chronic pain. We're in 2017, and this one company, Purdue Pharmaceuticals, is still... Bringing in revenue of about $2 billion. Right.
1: They've done their work. They did their marketing campaign already. Like they were successful. And now they're allowed (laughs) to say we're taking people away from marketing, although you can still see an ad on anything that mentions. Um, like opioids, they're going to use Google advertisements to push their products Still, oh, but they've already like done their advertising. People that are addicted
2: to opioids, it's not like you can take those away from them. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's become part of their life. Right. I mean, uh, you know, as we kind of blend through parts, like you know, through our story to the finances to the caring part. You know, we plan on talking about how we look at people with addiction. You know, as as providers, as people. But the thing is, those folks that are addicted already, opioid withdrawal, I mean, you're talking about extreme apathy, constant discomfort, feelings of dread and hopelessness because of the fact that the entire time they've been on these, I mean, their brain has developed opioid receptors all over. And those opioid receptors they they have essentially that's a need that's a need to have that in the system it becomes part of their function and it's not like you can just bring those people off of it. Right uh, we
0: can't look at these people like monsters you know there's plenty of uh, blame to go around from the pharmaceutical companies to the doctors to the patient but I think often in our society recently you know it's like we're looking at these addicts as monsters as like the problems wrong with you but just like you were saying Sean it's, it's there's many factors in the situation you take more opioids, you get more opioid receptors in the brain, you depend on more opioids and then before you know it, you're an addict. These are these are these can be good people. There's a certain percentage of people that are predisposed to be addicted to these types of drugs. Well,
2: they have a genetic affinity for creating opioid receptors at a rate that's, you know, faster than you or I. I mean, no different than an uh, an Olympic athlete who, you know, has a greater percentage of fast twitch muscles than And aren't than I these do.
0: receptors all over the brain? Like they
2: Yeah, as you look I mean there's different classifications of opioid receptor, but you look as far as it reads like the map of the brain, almost every single structure is listed. You know, if you go back to neuroanatomy, they're They're all over, and they're they're required in brain function. Uh, And they kind of change that perception level or that threat level of pain, which is why they were useful. However, uh, they also end up becoming intimately involved in brain function and how we work. And as soon as you take those out, you change the way people are. And some people, it's just a random You know, some people were set up their random probabilities, the first prescription they ever got was going to send them down that path.
0: Right. And as a guy like me, who's a physical therapist who treats patients, who take opioids, who have seen them in my personal life, uh, you know, catastrophic effects of opioids. It's uh, I think it starts with education, stuff like this, like getting the message out there that there's a certain percentage of people who will, you know, can't help but be addicted or or having that education out there. You cool. know, in 1995 when this was launched and a lot of uh, marketing and, and campaigns were launched to push these opioids for pain reductions, well, it's not 1995 anymore. We know the catastrophic effects and educating each person, uh, not only doctors, farm reps, but just the normal Joe Schmo on the street. Like, we, we need to know these consequences, and cool. I think that helps dictate... You know, how we treat chronic pain. It's it's time to start putting, like,
1: government-wise, putting your money where your mouth is, getting people treatment. I I view it very much like mental illness, where I don't completely understand it, um, but I understand that I don't understand it. You know what I mean? Where it's people need help. It's not that, like right. you were saying, where it's not these people aren't horrible people. They're not people. monsters. They might have had a knee replacement, you know, and then got prescribed a certain drug and then got hooked on it, couldn't get that prescription anymore. And then what are they supposed to do? They're hooked. And then how are they going to find that drug? Well, and the stories are so
2: horrible. I mean, you, you see some, uh, uh, you know, it's an image on the news. There's a car on the side of the road. There's two parents. They're both addicted. You know, they are completely out of it. They're they have lost consciousness. They're there. One of them's about to pass away. The other one's, you know, maybe gonna make it. There's two crying kids in the backseat. It's about the most horrible and deplorable story you can imagine. And when you see that you think about those adults, those parents, you're like, you know, what the f happened? And then you think, but who's worse? Is it them? Or is it those sentient people who knew exactly what they're doing all that time who just so they could make more money just let it go and lied and pushed it and made the problem worse. I mean, and those are the ones who end up scot-free. And then down here at the ground level where we all live, like it's the stories and all of that stuff that's going on. Right. And it's the horribleness of it. And it's just yeah. the fact that people could just, if you or I or anybody, if we did something horrible that ruined the world, I mean, we would be, like, at home crying, like, I can't believe I did. Like, yeah. I was the result of this failure. Like,
1: dropping the atomic bomb. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. I mean, listen, there was really good researchers who worked on that project who, when it was realized, like, couldn't even live with themselves afterwards. Right. I mean, uh, <laughs> Bell, uh, I'm sorry, Nobel, right, is the mm-hmm. horror of creating something that he thought damaged right. the world. And uh, yet these people are just scot-free, man.
0: Right, and clearly, we could talk about opioids for for hours here, but let's uh, let's go into people who still care. Let's try to try to wrap this up a, a little bit. I know we're running long here. Well, that's think?
2: that's the part we were just talking about, as far as like how we look at those folks. I mean, it would be easy to look at the addict and just think about what like horrible person they were. We're not going to spend time with them or whatever. Um, you know, we've had you know some patients here that were clearly med seekers. You know, before mm-hmm. uh, not many. Fortunate for us, but you know, it would have been easy to to write them off early in the process, and we mm-hmm. didn't. Things worked out well, and that's a key aspect I think for folks. How do you handle that?
0: Yeah, these are these are people in our society. These are doctors, lawyers. You know, the guy doing the construction on the road. I mean, these are people integrated in our society. It's such a a epidemic, you know, numbers that you know these are the everyday person. These aren't monsters. These aren't you know people who uh, have chose this road. Many of them, and and accepting them for who they are and, and trying to get help is is so important, you know, in it's,
2: the future. It is a complicated story. It's one that's not going to go away. I'm sure we'll be revisiting it time, time or two here and there. But I think most importantly is uh, we'll kind of finish with our promise to make sure that uh, we'll be back here in two weeks. New, you know, a new medical newsworthy story. Some finances that tie to medicine and uh, our segment for people who still care. Right. I'm and in. Are you in?
0: I, I'm in for sure. You in? I'm in. I'm in for this one, boys. Sweet. Mm-hmm. And if you have any topics you want us to cover, or anything you want to add, you know, hit us up on Facebook, or uh, when we load this, and and we'd love to uh, touch on any questions or any topics uh, that that's out there for our viewers.
2: Or if you hate us, because I just, you know, let us know. I love that stuff. Trust the process. <laughs>